carrying on today in our series in John's Gospel, looking at these, these seven I am statements that Jesus made uh, about himself, claims he made about who he was, uh, and in turn what he'd come to accomplish. Uh, and so we're on to uh, our thirds today, looking at Jesus as he came and said, I am the good shepherd. Uh, and so we're going to look at that together and talk about the implications of that and what that means for us today. Um, so just to say, we're going to be reading from, from John chapter 10. Uh, and so if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to, to kind of open it up and find it. We're also going to um, look at some verses from Psalm 23, uh, many of which we actually just sang. So that song where we sang, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. We're going to look at those words as well together. Um, so if you're familiar with the Bible, or if you're not, just to give you a kind of helping hand, John, you'll find kind of just over three quarters of the way through, if you're not looking for it on a tablet, but you've got a book, and the Psalms, Psalm 23, you're going to find just under halfway through. So I'll give you a bit of, or you could just look at the index at the front. There's honestly no shame in looking at the index. That's okay. If you can't find it, look it up there. Um, that's no problem. Uh, and it will come up on the screen behind me. So before we get to read it, last week, Dave spoke uh, about Jesus, who said, I am the gate. Uh, and he talked about what that meant for us. And, and actually, it's earlier in the same chapter, earlier in chapter 10, and it's all part of one picture with what we're going to look at today that Jesus uh, was, was uh, kind of using to illustrate who he was and what he'd come to do. And it's this picture of a, of a, a pen full of sheep. Uh, and so last week, uh, he talked about the fact uh, that he was the gate. And it's this picture of a flock of sheep who are, who are defined, so they're within a, a defined area. They're set apart from any other sheep that are outside of the pen. They're defined because they're inside the pen. Uh, and as the gate, it's this picture of Jesus securing these sheep in the pen caring for them and protecting them. And the, the, the image is the sheep are God's people or people who are in relationship with God, who've put their trust in him. And this picture of Jesus defining those people. In other words, how you respond to Jesus defines whether you're in the pen or not, whether you are part of God's people or not. Uh, and Jesus securing us as part of God's people, and protecting and caring for us in that. And so as Dave looked at last week, Jesus declared himself to be the gate. And a big part of that picture is that Jesus said that he was the entry point into relationship with God. That actually you can't come into relationship with the Father except for through the Son, Jesus. Uh, only those who enter by the gate are saved. Actually, you can't hop the wall to get in. You have to come through Jesus into relationship with God. But this gate imagery also speaks of security, of protection, of, of preservation. That again, the gate keeps in those who are trusting in God, preserves them in relationship with him, and keeps out people who would want to do harm to those people. So it's a picture of security, of protection, and preservation. 
Uh, and then alongside that picture of the gate, Jesus then uh, kind of speaks on top of that and kind of layers that imagery up even further and says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, and so we're going to read now from John chapter 10, from verse 11 uh, through to verse 30. And then we'll, we'll kind of unpack it uh, and see what it means and how it applies to us today. So let's read from, from 10 verse 11 on. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, oh, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came time for the festival of dedication. At Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Let's pray and then we will seek to unpack that together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Jesus, we thank you uh, for all that you came to do and all that you declared about yourself, uh, that we might know you, not just know about you, but that we might actually know you, enter relationship with you. I pray that you would help us to, to really understand uh, and apply your word this afternoon. Holy Spirit, would you uh, just let it sink deep into our hearts today, that it would have an impact and that it would bear fruit. Uh, <laughs> would you draw us close to you now as we look at these words together? Amen. Good. Well, as we've seen over the last few weeks, looking at these statements, these I am statements, and we'll continue to see uh, over the rest of this series, again, Jesus, we've called the series I am for a reason, again, Jesus uses this same phrase, this I am, and it's 
Um, he, it's two words where one would do um, in, in the language as Jesus spoke it and in the Greek uh, that the New Testament was originally written in. Um, instead of just using the normal I am that you would usually do, Jesus uses a specific expression that could sound like a stutter. He effectively says, I, I am, or it's like I am the I am. Um, it's a way of him declaring that he's God, and he, he does that in all of these instances. And so again, we find here, Jesus, in very thinly veiled terms, uh, declares himself to be God the Son, equal with the Father, one with the Father. And as the Son of God, he says, I am the Good Shepherd. He says, I'm... I'm I'm the Son of God, I'm one with the Father, and as such, I'm the Good Shepherd. Now, this isn't a new idea that Jesus uh, chooses to use. It's not like a novel picture that he comes up with and thinks, like, oh, that's a good way of kind of illustrating God's relationship with his people. Uh, I'll, I'll use that. No, it's a, a very familiar, like a well-worn picture throughout the Bible that you find crops up time and time again. Uh, through the Old Testament, through the, the Torah, the, the books of the law and the, the books of prophecy that, that Jesus and the, the Jews that he was speaking to would have been very well familiar with. They would have known these verses inside out and, and time and time again through the Old Testament we find this picture of God as a shepherd uh, and his people as his flock who he leads and who he guides and who he protects uh, and who he cares for. It would have meant something to Jesus' first hearers because instantly they would have thought about these occasions uh, in their scriptures where God pictured himself or where God is spoken of in that way or in the Psalms where the psalmist liked 23 that we're going to read and that we're going to look at in a moment said the Lord's my shepherd and he kind of saw himself in that relationship with God these are the things that they would have instantly thought of but it also would have meant something to them because they would have known about shepherds and they would have known probably some shepherds but this is a much less familiar image in 21st century Britain isn't it I don't know how many of you know all that much about shepherding any takers? Probably not many of us. Ian, because of your history in terms of education and work with the Ministry of Agriculture, you're probably better placed than most of us to know about shepherds. Now, I actually used to have a bit of a fascination as a child with shepherds. And some of you may remember there used to be a program uh, on television uh, on the weekend uh, called One Man and His Dog. Yeah, sheep dog trials. I used to absolutely love it. It was amazing. It would be fascinated that, that someone could kind of whistle. And anyway, and the dog would run around there and it'd do all this amazing stuff. But absolutely nothing like the picture of a shepherd that we find in Scripture. These shepherds didn't have a, a kind of border collie charging off around the field, kind of bringing their sheep in. A very different picture. But these guys would have been familiar with it. And so we can't just kind of shortcut all of that bit and go, oh yeah, well, we know what, we know what the, the shepherd picture looks like in terms of protecting and caring for. So we're going to probably uh, look at it slightly differently to the way they did in a way, but 
we're going to ask them, so what does it mean then for God to be our shepherd? What does it mean for us to relate to and know Jesus as the good shepherd? Well, there's, there's lots and lots we could say, but actually this passage uh, and then Psalm 23 between them, I think, give us a, a really helpful and rich picture of what it means to relate to God as our shepherd. There's, there's a lot of elements that we could draw out from Scripture, but, but we're just going to look at a few from here. And so this is the first. When Jesus begins, he says, I am the good shepherd, in verse 11, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And then he contrasts the shepherd with the hired hand. And he says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now for shepherds, the sheep represented their livelihood. They lose their flock. They've lost everything. So they would protect their flock, even if it cost them their life. The shepherd is better than a hired hand. And this is really important that we understand this in the picture of Jesus as God, is that Jesus was not just a man co-opted into God's plans. Jesus wasn't a hired hand. Jesus wasn't uh, a man who God called for a specific purpose, who was somehow caught up in God's plans. Because that would make him a hired hand. No, Jesus is God in human flesh, one with the Father. And as such, he is the good shepherd, and the shepherd cares deeply for his sheep. Partly because they're his sheep. They're not someone else's who he's being paid an hourly rate to, to look after or to keep inside the sheepfold. They're his sheep. They're precious to him. He will protect them with his life. But a hired hand, just being paid an hourly rate, would not care for sheep in the same way. If a wild animal or an attacker came, well, sorry, that's more than my money's worth. I'm off. <laughs> this picture of Jesus as the good shepherd is a part of a way of him saying, we're going to get onto the being willing to lay down his life for his sheep in a moment, but it's not just about death. It's about saying, I will always, always protect my people. There's never a moment where Jesus is going to bail out on you. There's never a moment where the good shepherd is going to go, do you know what? It's too much like hard work looking after you lot. <laughs> There's never a moment where the good shepherd is going to say about you, if you put your trust in him, this is more than my money's worth. I'm off. Jesus here contrasts self-interested leadership with servant leadership. There is nothing about the love of God for you that is self-interested in that way. Jesus didn't come to be served, he said, but to serve. It's amazing, isn't it, right? It's extraordinary. 
Who does that? Who takes that attitude? Jesus, the King of Heaven, comes, puts on human flesh, comes born as a man, and says, I didn't come to lord it over you, or to be served by you, or put on a pedestal, but I came to serve you, to protect you, to give my very life for you. You know, sadly, all too often we see examples of people who profess to be shepherds, but actually turn out to be more like hired hands. Our examples of good shepherds are few and far between. And maybe some of you have experienced that, and you bear the scars of people who you thought they were good shepherds, and they turned out to be hired hands. You know, I was, and I was devastated this week, like absolutely gutted, to hear news of, of a man who I greatly respected, a man whose books I'd read and benefited from and enjoyed and recommended to others, a man who'd come and eaten in our home and spoken into our lives as a family was stepped out of leadership this last week. He carried a very significant leadership position in a large group of churches. He was stepped out over allegations, well-founded allegations, sadly, of controlling and abusive behavior. See, the tragedy is, is that people who we think look like good shepherds sometimes turn out to be hired hands. And there is only one truly good shepherd. (laughs) Because as humans, we make mistakes. We get it wrong. But Jesus, here's the good news, doesn't ever do that. He's no hired hand. He is the good shepherd. And he carries on. As the good shepherd, he knows his sheep we find in Verse 14 and 15 says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. This is great news. (laughs) Like this is really, really good news because this means that Jesus knows you. Like he really knows you. Notice with the degree of detail and intimacy that Jesus says he knows those who are his sheep. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, it's the same way I know my sheep. Well, how does Jesus know the Father? How does the Son of God, God the Son, know God the Father and God the Spirit? How do they relate? Perfectly, in perfect, eternal intimacy. (laughs) The Trinity, the Godhead, three persons, co-eternal, co-existent, one God, perfectly united for all eternity. I don't think you could know more closely, more intimately than that. Of one essence. And in that same way, Jesus says, I know 
my sheep. Do you know what that means? It means he really knows you. It means everything about you. Absolutely everything. Everything you're proud of and everything that you're deeply ashamed of. Everything that you would want to write on your CV and everything that you would want to try and bury to the very depths and hope no one ever discovers about you. He knows. And knowing you, he loves you. Your proudest moment and your deepest shame, he knows you and he loves you. This is good news. (laughs) This is very good news. And loving you, what does he say he does? I lay my life down for my sheep. This is extraordinary, actually. And in verse 18, he says this, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is so, so essential that we understand this about the crucifixion of Jesus. It's vital that we understand that Jesus wasn't a passive victim in what happened when he was crucified. He wasn't just kind of like got to by the Romans or by the the priests. It wasn't like they kind of did him over and he was the, the kind of passive, innocent victim. He was innocent, yes. But he says right here, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He willingly went to the cross. Actually, earlier in John's Gospel, and we see it at various points uh, in these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, but in John 7, we find an account where they try to seize him, actually, where the chief priests send the, the temple guards, and they try to seize Jesus. They want to arrest him. And actually, the people are so incensed at his teaching and the fact that he declares himself to be God, the people are so angered by it that it says they try to seize him. And what happens? There's no one laid a hand on him. You think, hang on, just wait a minute. One man teaching, declaring himself to be God, and a whole crowd of people in the temple, angered by what he says, try to seize him. And no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. They sent the guards to arrest him. He just walked away. This is crazy. If Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, no one was going to force him there. He's God. He'd just walk off. No one could lay a finger on him except with his permission. On the cross, this is one of the most remarkable things. People taunted him when he was on the cross. They shouted out things like this, you've saved others but you can't save yourself. But that's exactly the point. At any point, at any time, yes he could have done He could have said a word and made it all stop. 
He could have called on a whole legion of angels. <laughs> called it all off. At any point, a word, and it would have stopped. But he came for purpose. He came to die in your place. No one took his life. He laid it down willingly for you. And we'll look at this more in a moment, but he also had authority to take it back up again. So this servant, shepherd, king who knows you, knows everything about you, knows all there is to know, gave his life willingly for you out of love. It's amazing, isn't it? What else do we learn about Jesus from his words in this passage? Well, he also then goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. <laughs> one flock and one shepherd. This is the most like inclusive, exclusive statement there is. See, the sheepfold might be big, but the gate is narrow. Throughout history, there is only one church under Christ, our Lord, our good shepherd. And actually elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is very clear that there will be those who think they are in the flock who aren't. There will be those who say, like, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did this. We did the other. We cast out demons, we prophesied in your name, and Jesus will say, go away from me. I never knew you. They thought they were in, but they weren't. But here, he wants us to know that there is just one flock, but it's probably bigger than you think. <laughs> when Jesus makes this statement, he's, he's letting his Jewish listeners, who saw themselves as, as God's only chosen people, He's letting them know that he didn't just come as the rescuer that they were waiting for, as the Messiah for them, the saviour for the Jews, but that he'd come for all people, for the Gentiles too, for non-Jews. And these Jewish listeners, if they got the point, would have been furious that Jesus said he'd come to include those who were not Jews, even though actually you read in the Old Testament and God says that's what the rescue is going to come to do, to bring good news to all the earth, to all people. But they, they weren't keen on that. <laughs> and that's good news for us. Because I don't, I, maybe more of you than I think, but I don't know how many of us in this room are ethnic Jews. Scott's got some kind of claim in there somewhere. I think sometimes by the shape of my nose, maybe I've got something in there somewhere in the, in the past. Um, <laughs> but to the best of my knowledge... None of us would get in if that was the ticket. But gloriously, it's not. It's on trusting the shepherd, on entering through the gate. Jesus came to proclaim that the kingdom of God, the love of God, the invitation of God was not just for the Jews, but was good news to all mankind, that whoever believed might be saved. This would have been really, really hard for them to hear. Really tough for them to hear. But I think 
Because th- this would have been hard for them to hear because they would have gone, but we're the ones. Like, we're God's chosen people. We're the ones who God's given all these promises to. For hundreds of years, we've been the ones. What do you mean there are people who are, like, who are coming in? And it actually, as the early church got started, it was one of the biggest issues. And I think the challenge is this, that if we're not careful, actually, we can be just the same. We can look at other church traditions, other expressions of Christianity, and we can narrowly believe sometimes that we're the ones. We're the ones. (laughs) Guys, there's one flock, one shepherd, and that isn't limited to our expression of church. It isn't. (laughs) Now, we really need to get that. That isn't to say there aren't parameters. There are. There is an in and an out. There's there's faithful Christianity and there's not. (laughs) Okay? There is heresy. There is such a thing as... as (laughs) You know, believing that there are many ways to God the Father and that's not true. And if you believe that, well, you're not in the sheep pen. (laughs) Um, It's just pretty clear in Scripture. But it's a big pen and there's a lot of expressions within it. Guys, we really need to have the humility to recognize and accept that the way we do things isn't the only way. Jesus is the only way. Our type of church our traditions aren't it's Jesus and Jesus alone he's the gate we enter through him and him alone but there are parameters like I said so his sheep hear him they know his voice and they obey him if someone claims to be a Christian and says there are many ways to God they aren't if someone claims to be a Christian but lives willfully, ongoing, in disobedience to God, they're not. (laughs) But if you're sceptical about someone's salvation because they dance more than you when they get together, (laughs) or because they enjoy more silent reflection than you, or because they wear robes or don't wear robes, or because they shop on Sunday or don't shop on Sunday or because their kids play sport on a Sunday morning, or don't play sport on a Sunday morning, or name any other number of things, or you're sceptical about someone's salvation because they have senior female leaders in their church, or because they don't have senior female leaders in their church. Guys, those things are secondary issues, and you have to see them as such. And I know most of us do, but I think sometimes we can look at other people and think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about you. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. (laughs) But I think I've been in enough conversations with other Christians to know that's the case. (laughs) Maybe we're not as exclusive as Jesus' first audience were. But sometimes I think we can be more exclusive in our thinking and our approach and the way we treat other brothers and sisters than we should be. Yeah, there are boundaries and we need to hold to what the Bible teaches and seek to be faithful to that. But 
We need to have grace and humility too. So Jesus came for people who weren't in the fold as they thought it was defined. And that's good news. And now I want us to look at, at Psalm 23 for some more of, of what would have come to mind for Jesus' first listeners too. And, and some stuff that I feel we really need to grasp hold of as we relate to Jesus as our shepherds. It says this in Psalm 23. We're not going to read the whole thing, but just the first few verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Guys, this is powerful. (laughs) David relates to God as his shepherd, and Jesus comes and reveals himself as the good shepherd who can be trusted and followed for us too, the one in whom we find amazing security. But notice this apparent, very large contradiction in this passage. Because we read it to a point, and we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, Amen. The Lord's my shepherd. He leads me by still waters. Oh, that's what I like. Refreshing and cool. Oh, and we get so, he refreshes my soul. Yes, yes. He leads me along right paths. Yes, this sounds good. This is pleasant. This is pleasing. He leads us along right paths. For his name's sake, yes. Amen, Lord. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you what? Even though I do what? A minute ago, I was by gentle streams in green pastures. And now, all of a sudden, I'm in the darkest valley. What happened to my idyllic rural landscape that I was reclining in? I I thought I was like chilling by the stream on a picnic blanket. What happened? Even though I walk through the darkest valley. What? Yeah, that's right. And there's not a contradiction. Walking along the right path, following the good shepherd, (laughs) knowing God's refreshing is not the absence of trial or challenge. It's not the absence of walking sometimes in what feels like the valley of the shadow of death. But it's peace and hope in the midst of it. It's peace and hope in the midst of it. It's refreshing in the midst of it. In fact, the writer of the psalm, David, goes on to say, just a few verses later, (laughs) you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And you think, sorry, hang on. not like you liberate me from my enemies, you deliver them, you vanquished all my enemies, and now I'm chilling out by a stream. <laughs> you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. See, knowing Jesus as the good shepherd means having real, lasting security and peace and hope because we know that he is greater, he is stronger, and he is more powerful than our greatest adversary. What is 
humanity's greatest adversary? What is it? What's the, what's the, the undefeatable, unavoidable enemy of humanity? Death. Humanly speaking, that's our big enemy, right? There's no escaping it. We try to do all we can to cheat it, to prolong life, to, to maintain youth. <laughs> but even in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to be afraid if we trust in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has conquered death. He's risen, and all who hope in him will rise with him. This is the promise of Scripture. It's the promise of our good shepherd, that actually our shepherd will lead us through death and into life. And so even when we walk in the darkest valley, even when we face death, we don't need to fear the evil one. We don't need to fear what lies ahead. But we trust our good shepherd who leads us through death and into life eternal. And just, this is it's kind of more than an aside, but I just, I really felt when I was preparing this that maybe there, there was someone or some people who like, you are scared of death. Like you, it's something that plays on your mind. Not, like all the time, but you, it's not like you have an obsession with it, I don't think, but just, like you're, you're freaked at the prospect of death, like you, you're scared about it, it's, it's something that holds fear for you, and I, I really felt like um, I'd love to pray with you, if that's you today, but in that, to encourage you that Actually, when we trust in him, when we look to Jesus, when we know him as our good shepherd, we trust the good shepherd who says, I lay my life down and I take it back up again. And that as he has conquered death, as he has risen again, that our good shepherd leads us. We don't have to fear death because it's not the end. And I, there's, yeah, I love... I'm jumbled, but if you <laughs> are scared of death, I'd love to talk with you afterwards and, and to pray with you because you don't need to be. You can know freedom from that fear. We're going to jump back into John 10 quickly as we finish these last verses. We're going to skip over a few. but So Jesus was surrounded by the Jews who are uh, kind of quizzing him like, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Like, are you really the Messiah? Are you going to tell us? Um, which is kind of hilarious because Jesus has told them lots of times already, quite plainly, and that's half the time why they've been so cross with him. Um, but, and he just says to them, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name, so the miracles he performed, also testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. There's a challenge for us, just as there was for them. So they want to know, is Jesus the promised rescuer that they've been waiting for? Is Jesus 
the way to lasting, eternal relationship with God. And he's already told them he is, and he's told them plainly, but they don't believe. I guess my question is, do you? Have you heard and do you believe? And if so, how do you respond? And Jesus tells us how his sheep should respond and how his sheep do respond. This, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How do we respond? Well, we listen to his voice. How do we hear the voice of the good shepherd? Any ideas? How do we hear his voice? Isn't a trick question, hopefully. We read the Bible, right? We have the Word of God right here for us. How do we hear the voice of our shepherd? We read his Word to us. Primarily in Scripture. And so I guess I want to ask you, are you listening to his voice? Are you reading his Word? And if not, I'd encourage you to do so. There are loads of great reading plans out there. There are loads of tools you can use to help you engage with reading the Bible. There's some great audio Bibles that you could listen to if you find reading tough. There's loads of ways to engage, but please do engage. Listen to his voice. And listening to his voice, what then do his sheep do? They follow him. They follow him. They live in obedience to what they've heard. They don't hear his voice and then go, I'm not sure about that bit, and walk in the other direction. (laughs) They hear his voice and they follow him. You might believe today. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the way. Are you following? How good is your following? I want to encourage you to not just listen to his voice, but to commit yourself to following, to allowing it to impact the way you make decisions, your priorities, what you do with your time. Are you seeking to live like Jesus, to follow the Good Shepherd? What else as we respond to him? Well, this is the great thing about our shepherd who leads us through death. He says, we receive eternal life. What does he give us? He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. And there's amazing security as the gate who secures us in the pen And as our good shepherd, he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's this amazing kind of mutual thing that as we 
put our trust in him. And as we respond to this offer of new life with him, that we can kind of, we look at our part in that and we kind of think, I'm holding on, I'm holding on. And then Jesus, here and elsewhere in scripture, goes, I'm so glad you're holding on, but let me help you see something that's more profound and that's stronger because honestly as hard as you might think you're holding on your grip isn't all that good and if it were down to you at some point you're going to let go but he says i am holding on to you no one will snatch them out of my hand that is real and lasting security no one will snatch you from the loving hands of jesus Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God, not even death itself. I want us to, there's so many kind of directions you could go (laughs) with these verses of Jesus the Good Shepherd, but we've covered a reasonable amount of ground. But the two things I wanted to really press home today are, And we're going to take communion together as we conclude our time this afternoon. But the two things I really wanted us to grasp hold of are actually around the fear of death, which I mentioned earlier, and our security in him. I want you to understand (laughs) that when Jesus says he's the good shepherd... That brings amazing security. This concluding verse, this concluding sentence that you're held in his grasp. That it's not down to you. You you might, today, you might feel like you are just kind of clinging onto him by your fingertips. I don't know what's gone on for different ones of you. Like maybe you've been bruised through a hired hand like the guy I talked about earlier. And you just think like, man, I don't know. Maybe life is just really, really tough right now. I don't know what circumstances all of you are facing. I know some of them, but I don't know all of them. And you think like, I am just like barely by my fingertips holding on. I feel like I'm just about hanging in there. And Jesus wants to say to you today, as your good shepherd that you are firmly, firmly in his grasp. There is incredible security into that. As you are just feel like you're just about holding in there, he says, I'm the gate, <laughs> and I've secured you in. And no one, nothing, no one, not even death itself, can take you from my grasp. You're mine. You're mine.